You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Naomi, thank you so much for being here today. I would love to give you the room and just let you share your story. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Um, I haven't told my whole story in a while, so I'm going to start at the beginning. Um, I, I'll fast forward, I promise, but I was diagnosed with um, juvenile idiopathic arthritis when I was 18 months old as a baby, and so I've had that my whole life. It's an autoimmune disease. Um, and so how that connects to fertility is kind of in my late teens, early twenties. Um, my doctors were like, oh, you, you know, these different medications can help mitigate those symptoms, but they were medications that had never been tested on, um, fertile age people because they were sort of meant for rheumatoid arthritis, um, in like people in their sixties or older. And so I would ask them like, do these have any impacts on future fertility because it's sort of related the way that it mitigates the disease. And um, they basically said like, we haven't, we don't have any data on that. And I remember feeling like, okay, so if I, they're telling me if I don't take these medications, I might need knee replacements by 30. And if I do, I might not be able to have my own kids. So like as a really early young person, I was having these like big thoughts around like, do I want to, try to have my own kids but maybe not be able to chase them around because I'll have like these mechanical knees or like you know and so I've just had this in the back of my head that like I don't know that my fertility journey is going to be easy um having a chronic condition like that and so I kind of always wanted kids um but I didn't talk about it that much which we found out when I got married <laughs> um I've known my husband for like 20 years and we um got married gosh, I should know this, I think four years ago at this point. Um, um, but like when we really started talking about having kids, it took a lot of our couples therapy sessions to really get on the same page about it um, because we were both kind of concerned about passing down like autoimmune diseases can be passed down. And so it took us a long time to like get started. And so um, we didn't really start trying until I think I was 32. Um, so in 2018 um, and we had like thankfully a very easy time getting pregnant um and so we had a positive pregnancy test within like a few months of trying in like april may of 2018 um and at that point my sister had just had like a birth at a uh, birth center and her pregnancy was like perfect and i was like reading all the books that she had read i don't know if people know ina may but she's like a childbirth educator and Um, I think midwife who is very adamant about like natural birth and everything is natural and I had read all of her books and so when I got pregnant I was like I don't need any ultrasounds like I'm just gonna have my baby at home and everything's perfect until someone tells me otherwise and so um, we had hired a midwife that we were going to do a home birth with who was kind of new to the area and we lived really rurally um way out in northeastern Oregon where there wasn't a ton of options so she was sort of our only option um and we ended up going to 
maternal fetal medicine in like the next town over, which is like, well, the next big town's like three hours. So we went there for an uh, for a consultation just to make sure that the medications I was on are okay. And I had like the worst time on the phone with them trying to tell them like, I don't want to do an ultrasound. I'm not there for you to check on the baby. I'm there to see if you can consult with me on these medications. And so I had finally convinced them on the phone, like I was coming in, but I wasn't going to do an ultrasound. And I think it's some policy where they have to actually confirm that I'm pregnant or something, which just felt so insulting. I'm like, I freaking know that I'm pregnant. Anyway, so when I got there, they basically forced me to do an ultrasound still when I got there and they did like an abdominal one and I was only eight weeks pregnant, which I now know like an abdominal ultrasound at eight weeks is kind of not very reliable. And so they were doing that and I was already sort of like feeling pressured into it. And they were like, oh, are you sure you're eight weeks along? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, this looks more like a five week heartbeat. Let's do a transvaginal ultrasound to check. And at the time I was like, no, like I don't wanna do any more of this stuff. I don't even know what a transvaginal ultrasound was at that point. Um, and so we called our midwife and we were like, what do you think? And she's like, well, it's really in not very precise to look through your abdomen at eight weeks, it's probably fine. Let's just like, you know, you're not having any symptoms. And so we sort of forgot about it, which right now seems like insane. Like, why would I? Anyway, um, so then like we had a trip planned to the East Coast to see my husband's family. I was about 10 and a half weeks and um, like really tired and nauseous and stuff. So we figured like, let's just tell them so that I don't have to like pretend that I'm fine. And so we told them, which was like his whole extended family. Um, and it was the first grandbaby and like everyone was so excited and um, it was we had gotten like a onesie made for the baby because there was like a party that everyone had matching t-shirts at and stuff and that was all fine so they like all knew and then about a week later um, I had flown we both flew back to Indianapolis to see my mom and my sister for a few days and um, my husband had to go back to work, but I stayed for a few weeks because I'm a teacher. So I had the summer off and like the day that he left, I went to a yoga class that night um, with my mom, a prenatal yoga class, and I started spotting. So this was like 11 and a half weeks. Um, and I'm a yoga teacher and I already was at that point too. So like this totally tainted my relationship with yoga for a long time. But um, I called my and texted my midwife and she didn't get back to me. Turns out she didn't get back to me for five days, which is, was crazy. I was so pissed. I never talked to her again. <laughs> but um, there, I, luckily I was where my sister had just had um, given birth um, at a birth center. And so she knew a bunch of the midwives there. So I reached out to them and they were super nice and like had me come in and tried to find the heartbeat with a Doppler and couldn't find it. And at this point, you know, my husband's in Oregon and I'm in Indianapolis and um try not to freak out and they're like well let's order an ultrasound and see what what's going on and so I think it was like the next day we went to an ultrasound and my mom and sister went with me and my husband was on the phone and they were like I'm so sorry there's no heartbeat um and like I was just like in shock you know um they said I found out later that the baby probably stopped developing around like six or seven weeks but I didn't find out till 11 and a half weeks and so we were like almost to the 12 week mark, which many of we of us know that's not a real thing. But um, so yeah, then my husband flew back for a few days and we sort of just tried to process and um, 
I was, they told me, you know, the midwives were like, you have options, you can do a surgery or um, take medicine or your body might just take care of it. You can just wait and see. And I remember like, I didn't really even consider the other options. I was just like, oh, well, if my body will take care of it, like, why would I do an intervention? And so, cause I was still in this like anime world <laughs> where everyone's body worked perfectly. Um, so I decided to wait and was basically just bleeding, you know, ended up um, bleeding for a really long time and refusing to do anything about it, which was not the best decision, but I was pretty stubborn. Um, a few weeks later, I um, was I was meant to be there a couple weeks. And so it was really nice actually to be there with my mom because she actually had three losses um, before she had my sister and I. So she sort of knew what it felt like. And we, um, I was like really tapping into like the spiritual side of what was going on and um we had like made some special incense that was supposed to like help connect with you know beings that had passed and um I kept getting like almost like attacked by monarch butterflies <laughs> not like in a scary way but they just kind of like showing up um and so that which is interesting because where I live in Oregon is not like a big place where monarchs are so it just happened to be there and that ended up being like butterflies in general are like how I feel like my babies like come back and see me or like say I'm there and so um that's when the butterfly obsession started and I I found a couple of places um that offered like free energy work for people who were having a miscarriage and so it was really cool I'm like super into you know intuitive like thinking about what's going on on other realms and stuff and one of the energy workers um, that I've, I had seen many times before, um, I was like, can you help me like try to figure out what happened, like from a soul level, you know, like, was this soul not ready or like what happened? And she was talking about indigo children, which I had never heard of that before. And I honestly don't know how to explain it very well, but it's basically like these highly sensitive kids. It's this generation of kids. And anyway, I started really looking into that. And what she said is that um, this baby was like some new generation of those that like the earth wasn't ready for them yet and all this stuff so it kind of was like really comforting to me because it wasn't like your womb was hostile or you know, whatever I was trying not to tell myself at the time um, so that sort of started this ritual that I still have years later of a special incense I light it and like connect with my babies and um, have a different butterfly that represents each one and stuff like that. So um, I eventually went home. So I'm in this small town that has like one hospital and only one OB that anyone I know likes. <laughs> um, and so I transferred care to her and she was actually really great. She's like, told me again, you can do the DNC or take the medication. Um, and I was like, oh, I just want to let my body do its thing. And um, I ended up waiting two months um, of just like bleeding all the, all the time. And I was basically just sitting in my yard, like burning incense and just existing. And um, finally my body started going numb on one side and then on the other side. And I was having these like horrible migraines and I ended up in the ER and my OB came to see me and was like, I know you really don't want to do this, but we really need to do a DNC and like get your body on track again. And so um, in sep early September is when I ended up having the 
my first CNC. Um, and the actual procedure was fine, but I don't know for people who live in places where there's not great medical care, like you kind of get what you get. And the anesthesiologist was horrendous. <laughs> I like was crying before the procedure even started because I was trying to ask him. So I've been having this numbness on each side and they did like a brain scan to make sure it wasn't like a nerve thing, but I wanted his opinion on whether I should do um, like twilight anesthesia or go all the way under like what's safest given like that there's some weird nerve stuff going on. And he just kept interrupting me and not listening to me and not answering my questions and like being like kind of mansplainy and like a bully. And finally, my husband very rarely like inter intervenes in these situations because I'm like, I can handle myself. But he was like, can you just listen to her? <laughs> and I love then of that. course, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then he did, which pissed me off even more. I'm like, really, you need a man to like talk to, but whatever. I was like crying and um, he's like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not okay. My baby died and you're not being nice to me. And I don't know what's going on. And like, you're not a nice person. Um, but then once I didn't have to talk to him anymore, <laughs> it was okay. And the procedure went really well and um, recovery was fine and everything. And one of my good friends came by that day or the next day and knew about my butterfly thing. So she like drew a monarch butterfly on my arm for me because I was thinking about getting a tattoo, which turned into thought, a tattoo. Yeah. Which is really <laughs> I love that. <laughs> milkweed and monarch on there I want to get some more butterflies but COVID kind of put a damper on getting it finished <laughs> um yeah so then I was sort of under the care of that OB then and she said you know wait a cycle before you try again so we did and it took my body kind of a while so then in December um we found out I was pregnant again and it was one of those like 4 a.m. get up to pee tests <laughs> and I was like oh my gosh so of course I didn't go back to sleep um but that was like the 26th of December which was the day we were like celebrating Christmas with my husband's family so it was kind of a exciting time but also sort of felt like okay I'm just gonna believe that it happens to people and it's really rare that it happens again and all of that stuff and and so we were still sort of wanting to do a natural birth like not in the hospital the hospital where we lived has like one of the highest c-section rates in our state and so I was like I don't really want to birth there um so we were researching birth centers and the closest birth centers were in Boise which was like uh three hours away or whatever um so we visited two of them and we had gone on tours and they were nice and everything and then the second tour we went on we had like gone through all the rooms and they showed us everything and then we were sort of like chit-chatting at the end. And I was, I think about eight weeks at that point, I think, um, yeah. And so they were asking me like what I kind of wanted for my care and they were introducing us to some interns, I think, or students. And so I was saying, yeah, I wasn't really, I don't want to get a ton of ultrasounds, but I feel like with this time around, I might want to get an early ultrasound just to make sure everything's okay. And like the two midwives looked at each other and then looked at me and they're like, come on. So they like took me into this room. We didn't have any paperwork signed, like no consent, nothing. And they just like offered to do an ultrasound and they don't have very good ultrasounds at birth centers <laughs> because they don't rely on it as much as like a OB's office. And so it was an abdominal ultrasound again at eight weeks. And I was sort of like, 
I, when I think back on it, I think like, why did I let them convince me to do that again? But when you're like in that vulnerable, like emotional space where you're like, oh, it'd be so good to know that my baby's okay. I feel like I just didn't have a chance to like, you know, I wasn't going to be able to say no. Um, so they did the ultrasound and they're like, well, it looks like the baby's more like six weeks in one day. And I was like, oh, break. Like, this is not what I was expecting today. Um, and I think they were sort of shocked too. So they were like, well, it could be that our equipment isn't very good, or it could be that your baby's developing slowly. And I was like, okay. And so they're like, we think you should get a transvaginal ultrasound. Um, and so they sort of like scrambled to like figure out where we could do that. Um, and there was a hospital like between their birth center and our house. And so they're like, why don't we do it there? I'll send the order. And so we drove home and like dropped off the order at the ER because that was the only place that was open. And then they made an appointment for us the next day. And we went back um, and they found the same thing that it was six weeks in one day. And they were like, well, it could be that your baby's just developing a little bit slowly or your dates are a little bit off. Um, or it could be that, you know, this baby's not viable. They couldn't find a heartbeat, but it was that six weeks is like pretty early to find a heartbeat. So they were like, why don't you come back in a week? I was like, okay, week from hell. <laughs> Waiting to see. Um, and I was like pretty numb at that point. Um, I had the day that I had to go back, I had to teach all day. Um, I teach graduate students, so it's not like kindergartners or anything, but um, I like taught in the morning, left my students with a colleague for like the hour and a half that it took to drive there and do the ultrasound and then like just came back and kept teaching um, was my plan. And so we went there and they were confirmed that the baby hadn't grown and there's no heartbeat and that's for sure a miscarriage. And like, I don't think my husband or I said anything in the car the whole like 45 minute drive home. We were just like, numb and sort of like okay this sucks um and I like somehow went back and taught the rest of that day um and like that's kind of how I dealt with that loss a little bit is just like in shock and numb and I like didn't give myself the same space that I did with my first baby like from a spiritual standpoint to like really dive into what what was happening because I was just like so defeated um <clears throat> excuse me um so it was kind of weird because we hadn't established care with anyone at that point and so I didn't know who to like ask about what to do about the miscarriage and so um we talked to the midwives that they had ordered that transvaginal ultrasound and we're like can we establish care with you so that you can like be with us through this loss and they were like oh we don't need to do that but we can support you and I was like okay, but you like don't have any of our information. <laughs> like, like they didn't want to charge us any money basically, but they then they like weren't really that available to us kind of thing. And so it was just like, we felt like we were just floating around, like trying to figure out what to do. And so they sort of suggested trying the medication, which I always say it wrong, but um, the misoprostol one, I don't know how to say that the way the doctors say it. I always just say Cytotec because that's the only one I can, because uh, that's the brand oh. name. That's the only one I can pronounce out of the two. So I just always <laughs> go with that. <laughs> that's, that's a good idea. I like But that we all know idea. what you're talking about. So you're good. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, and I like wasn't sure if I wanted to do it or not. And I had previously planned, my mom had flown out from Indianapolis, like for a 
regularly scheduled trip and we were going to go to the beach for a few days and so which was like six hours away from our house and so we went um and the whole time we were there we were just like researching the medication and trying to figure out whether to do it um and then it turned out to be like the craziest snowstorm of the year and we like drove through like four feet of snow to get home and it was just crazy time but um I had decided I was going to do it and I got the medicine and so my mom was with me that time which was really nice um and I took the medicine and then I didn't have any cramping or any pain I just had a lot of bleeding and clots and stuff and so I was like okay awesome like it's doing its thing like it's not as bad as people say and so I went to get an ultrasound to see if it worked um and it didn't and I was like "Ah, okay um so then my doctor was like or I think it was a midwife still yeah they were like um you can try another round of the medication um or you can do a DNC and I was like really worried about scarring from a DNC um, cause I already had one and I really didn't want to have that one. And so I tried another round of the medicine, like a few days later. And that time I had like, I mean, I haven't given birth to a live baby yet, so I don't know, but like birth like contractions, like it was so painful and zero bleeding, like nothing. It was just like so different than the first time I took the medicine. I have no idea why. Um, so like that didn't work either. So I was basically left with the DNC option. Um, so we did that um, with the same doctor as my first one. And we were like, can we get the tissue tested? I wanna see like if there's something wrong. Um, Cause I had like, you know, at that point been in lots of Facebook groups and people saying, we found out our baby had this. I'm like, how do you find out these things? Um, and our doctor basically said like, at this young of gestational age, it's a waste of money because you can't tell anything. <laughs> people can't say that. No I hate, like, I hate, oh, I hate that people say things like that. That's and like, I, they yeah. can literally do the testing on embryos that haven't implanted in the uterus yet. Like, yes, there is no age that's too young. <laughs> I can't. Um, and I, that's the thing that I feel like runs through this whole story and I'm still carrying today is like, if I didn't know how to advocate for myself, like anyone knows where I would be. Like, it's so horrible that we have to advocate for ourselves when we're in this like vulnerable situation and it's so infuriating. So we didn't get it tested. And um, that was like now, what, like a year, February 9th. 2019 now so that's been like a full year um and then by listening to life after miscarriage podcast (laughs) and other podcasts I learned that there was a thing called a reproductive endocrinologist um and Dr. Laura Shaheen was actually on the one of the podcasts I listened to and I was like oh my gosh she's like sort of in my like general area um and I heard that she wrote the book on like recurrent miscarriage and I was like okay I'm going to figure this out and we're going to go to someone that knows about this stuff. Um, and I, she, her office in Seattle was five and a half hours from where we lived. And there was a couple closer places, but I figured like they were all going to be at least three, if not four hours away. And if I could see like the doctor on recurrent miscarriage, you know, or at least the published one, I was like, it's worth it. Let's just do it. Then I won't have to guess like if they're, 
telling me the right information basically. Um, so of course I read her book and then we went started to see her um, and got all the testing done. Um, my husband and I and everything was normal. The only thing they found was a balanced translocation that was, I'm like forgetting all the details, but basically it's like not been shown to increase your risk of miscarriage at all. The way that it is, it's like super common and usually doesn't affect anything. Um, and they did like the genetic counseling with us and kind of told us that. I was like, okay. I didn't really believe them until the second time that I talked to a different genetic counselor, but I was kind of like, okay with it. Um, so then after all the testing, our, our uh, Dr. Shaheen was like, so basically you can continue trying naturally um, or you could do IVF and screen your embryos. Um, we don't know because we don't know what, what the issue was, but we know that all of your tests came back normal. Like basically what I interpreted her to say is that most likely thing is that something genetic with the babies. Um, she probably wouldn't say that that's what she said, but that's what I heard. Um, so we were like, okay, let's try again naturally one more time. And if we lose that third baby, then we're going to do IVF and test the embryos. So we like had a plan, it's all about the plans <laughs> until the plan falls through and you have to make a new plan. And then with that third, our third baby, trying to conceive our third baby was not, it wasn't very easy for us um, like it was with the first two. So we tried like April through September um, and basically my ovulation was like all over the place and I couldn't figure out exactly when it was happening. And so they suggested we do IUI um, with letrozole to like know when ovulation happens. So I took the letrozole and then I ended up getting a positive, um, what does OPK stand for? People probably know. Uh, ovulation <laughs> predictor kit, which is such there a weird go. thing that it says kit, but it's like a test strip <laughs> that we refer to it. So I never, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's OPK, yeah, OPK is better. I got a positive uh, ovulation test, I guess, um, which when you really look into what that's testing, it seems so imprecise. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so confusing. But um, so then they said, well, there's no really reason for you to do IUI, just try naturally because you know that you ovulated. So we did, and we got pregnant around Christmas again. So um, the timelines for my second and third baby are, are a day apart, like their due dates, which is kind of bizarre. Um, so at this point we were under the care of our RE. And so we had like lots of scans. Um, we did like a six week scan, everything looked fine. And we got to do that locally with the OB who had done my previous two DNCs. So it was sort of nice not to have to drive to Seattle for all of that stuff. Um, and then they ordered an eight week ultrasound and we went back to that same doctor and there was no heartbeat. Um, and so the baby was measuring like six weeks, four days at that eight week appointment. So it hadn't really grown that much in the last two weeks. And we were like, so trying to be positive that it was gonna be okay. And I remember so vividly being in that room and she'd been with us for the first two losses. So she was like devastated too. and. Um, I just like started bawling and they like gave us a minute, the two of us, because it's the first time that we like found out sort of in a normal way, <laughs> or I don't know normal, but like uh, we were in a doctor's office and we were there to check on the baby, like as opposed to the way we found out with the first two. And so I just felt like, uh, what are we supposed to do now? Like, 
I don't know. And she's like, we'll give you a couple minutes. And um, I cried for like, I don't know, a couple minutes. And then I was like, okay, I want to have a DNC tomorrow. Like I'm done with this shit. <laughs> like I cannot handle any other drama with it. And so um, the doctor came back in and we scheduled the DNC for like two days after that. Um, and so this time I was like, I knew from being a patient of an RE that you can freaking test the embryos, you know? And so the next day, the day between finding out and the DNC, I was literally on the phone for seven hours trying to get that freaking test put in place because my local hospital was going to do the DNC um, and they had never done this specific kind of testing or like something ridiculous. And so the, my RE's office is like, it's really not that hard. Like, let me talk to them. So they were like talking to the doctor's office and what ended up happening after all of this time on the phone, like, mind you, like, that's the only day I had to process this loss before they were taken out of my womb, you know, um, they sent the like actual kit for the test to my house, like on overnight mail. <laughs> and we had to take it to the hospital after the DNC and go to the lab and be like, here's the kit, read the directions can you please do it right? And like, cause they had saved the tissue from the DNC and that's what they said the best way to do it was. So like, I'm like, you know, hours post-op, we go up there and like, here's, can you just do it right? You know, um, I was just like, this cannot be like, so many people don't have seven hours to talk on the phone to get this done. You know, like if I had to go to work or like had other kids to take care of, like, it just sucks that it takes so much advocacy. Um, but we got it tested and, um, it was winter. So our town gets like snowed in a lot. And so like the freeways got closed and we're like, oh my gosh, the test isn't going to get out. And there's just all this trauma, but finally they did get the test out. And we found out that that baby had three copies of all the chromosomes. So it's like complete, um, I can always get it confused. Try some of your triploidy, but anyway sometimes if you get three copies of like one chromosome that can be abnormal but they had three copies of all the chromosomes which is not as normal uh, or as common I guess um so we sort of assumed at that point that the other babies also had some sort of um, genetic abnormality um and so that sort of, we had already decided previously, like if we lost this baby, then we would do IVF. And so this was February, 2020. <laughs> so <laughs> we're like, okay, we're gonna do IVF, bam, COVID. <laughs> um, so we had to get all of our testing redone because I guess we had done it too long ago. And so I had to do all the testing over again, which was fine. It was a whole bunch more money and stuff, but we got it done. Um, and they said we were good to go for IVF like right as they said like we're not doing IVF right now um so I was like trying to be ready as soon as they opened up again you know and also with my autoimmune disease I was immunocompromised so with COVID I like couldn't leave my house anyway and so kind of just like doing the quarantine thing hoping that I can do IVF um and then Let's see, how long did it take then? So that January before that, we had decided 
um, that we were going to move um, to a college town in our state. And my husband was going to go back to school to get his PhD. And we were going to sell the business that we had there. And this is all like before COVID. And so we sort of were like, okay, the timeline for moving is going to be like that following summer, like July, June, July. Um, and so how it all turned out with um, COVID and starting up cycles again is they had me start the like birth control part of IVF during July. So we're like moving, selling our house, <laughs> buying a house, like COVID, doing IVF. And um, we were staying with my family for a while. So we're like sleeping on air mattresses on the floor. And like, I don't know if pe people who have done IVF might relate, but um, I had, I felt huge. Like I had 27 eggs or something. I didn't know for sure, but it just felt like I felt more pregnant than I ever had and it was so uncomfortable. Um, but we had the egg retrieval that they, you know, with IVF, like you don't have any choice on when you do things. It's like when your body is ready, they are like, okay. So they scheduled the egg retrieval for like August 12th. And we had previously like scheduled our movers because they were storing our stuff for a while for August 13th. <laughs> like, oh <gosh>. Great. <laughs> So we like made this whole elaborate system because I wanted my husband to be there with me. I mean, he couldn't go in with me for any of the IVF appointments, but he was like in the car. Um, and so my dad, bless his heart, was like, I'll supervise move in. So we like made all these maps for like all the rooms, you know, like what goes where because we had hired these movers already and paid for it. And we're like, I don't want to have to move this stuff up the stairs later, you know, just because they didn't know where to put it. And so we had this all elaborate system ended up working out fine, thanks to my dad. Um, but yeah, I had 27 eggs, which was a lot. Um, and 24 of them were mature. And then 12 of them made it to blastocyst and seven of them um, were normal and four mosaic and three abnormal. So basically we had seven good, like normal embryos, which was really, really good um, result for our first round. Um, and yeah, I think the actual egg retrieval was fine. Um, it was pretty weird compared to like my experiences with DNCs where like they wheel you in to the OR. They're like, okay, now you can walk into the OR. And I was like, okay. And like climb up on the table. And it just felt super weird. Cause I was like more uncomfortable than I was with my miscarriages. And so I was like, can you just like wheel me in there? I'm like so uncomfortable, but <laughs> that's the first time that I actually got to meet Dr. Shaheen because all of our other stuff had been with like nurses or over the phone or whatever. And so we're like, have all our masks on. And I was like, starstruck, you know, like, oh my God. And they had given me the drugs already. So I was probably like saying all kinds of weird things, <laughs> but um, <laughs> she was so nice. Um, and let's see what happened after that. So they scheduled the embryo transfer for that was August for late October because we were doing the frozen um, cycle and we needed to test the embryos and everything and get my cycle back up and going. And so um, it went pretty well. I got to do all of my monitoring locally, which was really nice, but it was kind of weird because I would go in for an ultrasound at like our local hospital and there'd be these like ultrasound techs who don't really know that much about IVF and they're like trying to give me advice. And I'm like, don't tell me what to do. Like, you don't even have a uterus, first of all. Like, mostly they were men. And anyway, there was, 
I didn't quite have the lining the way they wanted it. So we had to go up and get it checked. And excuse me, Dr. Shaheen decided like, I think it's good enough. So anyway, we ended up doing the transfer. Um, and we had, we, I didn't want to spend the night in the hotel because of COVID. And so we drove up and back the same day, which is like four and a half, five hours each way. And so my mom like made it like a snack and she like met us up by the freeway because her house was like between Seattle and us. And it was so nice and um, wasn't a very comfortable ride there or back, but it was fine. Um, and I got acupuncture before and after, which I hadn't, I have done acupuncture before, but I hadn't done it for fertility specifically. And so it was pretty cool. I sort of discovered like, oh, there's like acupuncturists who have this special training around like Western fertility stuff, like the whole, I think it's ABORM or something is like their certification. And so I learned about that, like basically happenstance, you know, like all these things, like I learned about an RE on a podcast. And anyway, so I got to do acupuncture in Seattle before and after. Um, and that's the baby that I'm pregnant with now is our first transfer, um, which is like after all these sort of drama and trauma I'm like shocked that you know all those things worked um and so we were in a new town and again like okay who, who do we go through for care for this and I knew I was going to need a lot of support early on because I had really bad anxiety from you know pregnancy after loss is really hard as people know and um so I first found a doula who specialized in like pregnancy after loss and um, had done a lot of training around that and she started working with us like right after the transfer we didn't even know if it had taken yet and so that's been really really great because she's just been on the roller coaster with us I'm 34 weeks today is that right yeah 34 weeks today crazy um, and we wanted to go to the birth center here but they actually weren't very good about pregnancy after loss which I was really sad about um they were like we don't really do early ultrasounds I'm like well then I can't come there because I'm gonna need to know because you get I got kicked out you know I call it kicked out but they like graduate you from the fertility clinic at 10 weeks and so I wanted to make sure that I got a lot of scans but I ended up working with our local hospital who has a midwife OB sort of team they have like several of each kind and it's worked out really well I had to do a lot of advocacy at the beginning about like, I have a lot of anxiety and I've been like, this is a very traumatizing environment for me to be coming in for these appointments. And I want to do a lot of checks and I want you to tell me what you're gonna do before you touch me and like all those things. And they were receptive, but I had to keep reminding them like over and over again, which is just, that's not how it should be. Like people should be trauma informed at this point. Um, but yeah, this pregnancy has been pretty smooth. Um, I had some spotting early on, which obviously freaked me out and ended up being okay, which was just like so shocking to me, you know, like, no, that doesn't happen to me. Um, and then at 30 weeks, I started getting like horrible, like low back on one side pain. And I was sort of having like UTI symptoms and long story short, I ended up having a kidney stone which was oh my horrible. <laughs> I didn't really know anything about them. I hear that kidney stones are worse than like no epidural, like all like unmedicated births. 
So you have really been through the ringer <laughs> with, with pain. It You're was, prepared. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. That's what people have told me since then. And like, we didn't know what it was. So we went, they like, I called the OB's office and it was a weekend. So they had like screening, like answering service. And they were like, based on your answers, we want you to go to labor and delivery. And I was like, uh, what? Like, I'm not having this baby right now, but that's just where they monitor any kind of complications. And so they were trying to make sure that it wasn't like early labor. And so they kept asking me all these questions, like, how does it feel? And I'm like, I don't know what birth feels like. Like, I don't know what kidney stone feels like. So I felt like so worried that it could be preterm labor and ended up not being, and it was fine, but it took me a while to like, when I got back from that, I felt like so down and like depressed and the medications make me feel all weird. And I was like, I can't do anything. I'm not going to be able to do postpartum. Like I just had this horrible, like self-doubt that like, it's going to be so much harder. I'm going to have a baby to take care of. Like, I can't do this. And so I've been doing extra therapy sessions since then to sort of get back on track with like the, we've been doing hypno babies, which if people are familiar with is like a hypnosis for birth to help you like stay calm and um it's basically like rewiring your neural pathways to interpret the pressure of contractions as like a normal thing and not like a um alarming stress response so I like was doing so good with like everything's perfect everything's good and if it's not I'm gonna go with the flow and then kidneys don't happen and I was like oh my god <laughs> so I feel like I'm pretty much back on track at this point but um definitely in like denial that it's going to happen soon. <laughs> so yeah, I can yeah. tell you as somebody who has had a rainbow baby, I was in denial uh, all throughout my birth. I, um, I've shared that I had my eyes closed when he was born because I didn't want to look in case something was wrong. And I wouldn't open them until everybody told me that like he had 10 fingers, 10 toes and like was healthy. And I was like oh, making gosh. everybody in the room tell me that. And so I didn't realize the trauma. Oh, I knew I had trauma, but I didn't realize the impact it had up until the very moment that they're born. Um, oh it's really interesting. And, and I wonder with your, so how you wanted to have a birth center birth, I related to that because with my first pregnancy at six weeks, I went on a birth center tour. I was like, I'm going to do this natural. I want a birth <laughs> center. Like I am capable and I loved everything about it. And then I miscarried and I was like, no, I have to be in a hospital setting. And I actually did the mm -hmm. same thing. Um, I found a hospital that had midwives that had rights there and it was a great experience. And so if you have any questions outside of, of <laughs> the podcast, or I could give you any positive experience. Um, I had a really great one with, you know, being prepared for triggers and things like that. Um, but pregnancy after loss is hard. And it changes everything and it like it really changes your outlook on what your birth quote unquote plan is. I know we can't really plan it, but you know, we have a picture in our minds of what it looks like. Um yeah. and for so yeah. long it, it looked like as morbid as it sounds, it, it looked like death. Like that's what we experienced. Yeah. And so we don't know what it looks like when it doesn't end badly. Um yeah. that's, that's a lot of rewiring, it feels like. Yeah. And I'm sure I could learn a lot from you about what that looks like after birth too. Cause I imagine it doesn't just like go away. Like, Oh, everything's fine. <laughs> it doesn't. But. I really wish that I could say it doesn't. Nobody told me that it didn't. Um, that's actually where this whole thing like was born 
from was I thought my rainbow baby would heal my grief and it Mm. just kind of helped me look a little bit deeper into it I think um I saw it from like a different perspective at that point um but I would still rather be grieving and have him in my arms than grieving and not have him in my arms so um it's definitely a nice placeholder on days that are really hard yeah yeah it was I had decided that my first two babies were girls just I had like an intuition and then our third baby had three sets of chromosomes so I'm like well they're probably just a they I don't know um and then this one we found out is a boy and so it's been this like it's just such a weird shift like I feel like my other babies are like around and they're like excited about this and I like have had visions of them like as butterflies like picking me up and like taking me to my transfer and stuff like in Cinderella (laughs) they like pick up the dress you know so I know that they're like around but it just feels like such a different thing especially as a boy and like I like really don't know anything about boys (laughs) like I grew up with sisters and anyway so it feels like I had to do a lot of work early on to integrate like this this IVF pregnancy experience with my other pregnancy experiences because it was so like feeling separate and I've created some rituals now like I have a different color candle for each baby and I light all four candles like every morning and like talk to them and journal about it and stuff and try to like have this rainbow baby know that they have siblings and I'm just not totally sure how it's all gonna go and how I'm gonna feel but I know that I'm like way done not talking about my other babies you know people are like oh is this your first and I'm like oh it's actually my fourth my first three died <laughs> they're just yeah. like uh I hate like that. I, hate I know it. it's so well, and, and with a rainbow baby um you know something I didn't expect was I think about like I look at my son often and I think about what his siblings would have looked like and so that's always it's nice it's sad but it's also nice to be able to actually like picture them because before he was mm-hmm. born, I, I couldn't picture them. Um, it, yeah. Like they didn't have faces, you know? So um, that's really nice to be able to put a face to them. I think that it helps and it makes grief harder, um, but it's definitely a different layer and it's all, yeah. it's, you know, and incorporating them into your life with your rainbow is also really special. Like we have things all over my son's room, um, mm-hmm. that as he gets older, you know, I want to repeatedly say like, this is from your sibling in heaven, or this is, you know, m- mommy had babies before you, but you know, they weren't, I don't, I don't even know how I'm going to word it. They weren't ready yeah. for earth. I have no idea. Um, I guess that just comes if we just figure it out as it goes, but you know, I feel the same way where I very much, I'm not done talking about them and their lives, you know, meant something and, and however that plays out in life. Yeah. We also don't know what the future holds. And that's another scary thing about loss. You know, no matter what, yeah. how many kids you have earth side, you never know what the future holds. And it's just all, it sucks. It sucks to be a part yeah. of this club. Yeah. I think like, sometimes I think about the whole soul thing and I'm like, I wonder how, I don't have any idea how that works, but like, <laughs> how, maybe my first baby soul is coming back in this baby. Like, who knows? You know, I just don't know. And try to just be open to like why do I need to figure that out anyway like just exist and love them all you know um and that's a good way of thinking like why do I need to figure that out I um, like yeah when I was six weeks pregnant with my rainbow I actually saw a medium and I love stuff oh. like that like I just 
I live for it. And um, she told me that he was my, so my first baby was reincarnated into my second pregnancy and then also reincarnated into my son. And she told me that they weren't strong enough before, but the three of them together created my son. And so I, before that call, I, I never really believed in reincarnation. I grew up in a very Jewish family. Um, mm. And, you know, I never really thought that much about it, but that gave me peace thinking like, I didn't actually lose my babies. It's just mm. now I'm getting like three babies in one. And so sometimes like my son is very great with sleeping and he's so sweet. And I'm like, he's perfect because he's three babies in one. And so that's the kind of the way I think about it. Yeah. And that's so cool. I, I haven't had very many. Luckily being pregnant during COVID is kind of nice. Cause I don't have a lot of strangers like telling me weird <laughs> things and asking me weird things. And so but like sometimes people would say things like, um, or like my mom told me that what she got told a lot back in the day was like, well, it's all in God's plan. And like, you know, if that works for people, that's great. But that just feels like, I want to be like, F you, like, what the heck do you know about God's plan, first of all? And second of all, like, what did I do to deserve this? And other people don't have to go through it. And it just was never comforting to me. But this like way of thinking about that each of the babies were their own soul on their own soul journey, like was felt always felt more comforting to me and allowed me to like honor them each as what they were and are. Um, yeah. And like, of course my whole, we like have registered for all rainbow and butterfly things, even though he's a boy, I'm like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> You're going to have rainbow stuff. And our baby shower is actually tomorrow. We're doing like a virtual one. So it feels like, honestly like kind of scary like okay like all these people know about him and of course like this is very different than my other losses like if something were to happen it would be really different but it still feels like okay we're having a baby shower like tiptoeing or something you know but anyway it's great I'm very glad that I've gotten this long with him already <laughs> yeah well, you will have to check back in with me and let me know, um, you know, how birth goes after loss. And, and I do think that, you know, our, our miscarriages, our trauma, our infertility, it does play a part in our birth experience in some way. And sometimes it can make a positive impact because we now know how to advocate for ourselves, like in your case. Mm -hmm. um, and so check back in with me. I would love to hear from you after your little boy is born because um, he'll probably be born before this episode goes live because I record so many mm -hmm. in advance but maybe I can um, get like an audio clip from you with an update or something and, and oh, plug that'd it in. Be that'd so be cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah I will for sure thank you so much for creating this space it's been a lifesaver for me listening to other people's stories for sure yeah. Well, and now you're going to help somebody else. Um, your babies are going to help somebody else by hearing your story. So thank you very much. And I will catch up with you in a few weeks, but I'm wishing you all the best and please feel free to email me if you have any questions okay. or if I can like offer any advice or words of encouragement. Thank you so much. I love your drawing behind you. Thank you. Yep. That's my husband and I, and that's our, two, our first two babies. Um, oh. And these are birth flowers. So it's all three of our babies birth flowers. Oh, I love it. I have all of their birthstones oh. on my necklace. <laughs> I love it. And like, I have things all over the place um, that, that, you know, represent them. And that's just, it's a way to keep 
it's a way to keep their memory alive. For sure. Yeah. Thank you so much.